0: Well, uh, let us turn in two places. First of all, if you would, turn to Proverbs, please. Chapter 21, Proverbs. Chapter 21, and we'll look at verse 1. And then also, if you would, turn in the back of your hymnal, page 922, to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, to those of you who are new to Presbyterianism, we have as a part of our standards, which means this is what we believe that the Bible teaches, uh, the confession of faith, which we'll be reading chapter five tonight, and the larger and shorter catechisms, along with the directory of worship. And so we do uh, not hold uh, these uh, documents up to the level of Scripture, but do believe nevertheless that we... uh, believe that the Bible teaches the things that are contained in these documents. Let's pray, first of all, and then we'll read the Scripture. Now, Lord, our God and our Father, we thank you for tonight's lesson and pray that it would encourage us as we consider your sovereignty over all things. We pray, Lord, this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> first of all, Proverbs chapter 21 And verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And then in the confession, page 922, chapter 5 of providence, of providence. Section 1, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, Dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest, like kings, even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice goodness, and mercy. Section 2. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second. Causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Number three, God in His ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at His pleasure. Number four, the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extendeth itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by bare permission, but such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his holy ends, yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin." Number five, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. And then number six, as for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as a righteous judge for former sins doth blind and harden from them he not only withholdeth his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understandings and wrought upon in their hearts, but sometimes also with, excuse me, withdraweth the gifts which they had, and exposeth them to such objects as their corruption makes occasions of sin, and withal gives them over to the their own lusts, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves, even under those means which God useth for the softening of others. And then finally, number seven, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. Amen. Well, tonight we are talking about the providence of God and we are considering uh, this word that has in many circles, even Christian circles, fallen out of use. This was a word that if you read old Christian literature would find more frequently than in modern Christian books. Providence was something that uh, was liberally sprinkled in not only the writings that were explicitly uh, gospel books, but even many times our civic magistrates in the United States would speak of the providence of God. We name cities sometimes uh, in our country, Providence, Providence, Rhode Island, which was founded, boys and girls, in 1636. There's even a community called Providence Canyon here in our own state. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro, meaning for, and video, or video, depending on what kind of Latin you had, uh, meaning to see, for seeing. But providence, however, should not be understood merely as for knowledge, because providence is tied the will of God. That's why the section on the providence of God follows that of the eternal decrees of God uh, within our standards here. Providence is the outworking of God's decree. According to the New Dictionary of Theology, edited by Wright, Packer, and Sinclair Ferguson, it says this, Providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. Let me read that again. Providence is the beneficent, that means it's for good, outworking of God's sovereignty, whereby all events, that is God in his sovereignty, directs and disposes to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. That is, God governs in his sovereignty beneficently for the glory of himself and for the good of his church. John of Damascus defined providence as, quote, the solicitude that God has for all things. The solicitude that God has for all things. Hermann Bavink, a Dutch theologian, says this, that providence... um, Excuse me. He says that Scripture in its totality is a book of God's providence. Scripture in its totality, from the beginning of creation all the way to the new heavens and new earth in Revelation 22, is a book about the providence of God. It deals with God's preservation, and it deals with His government. Also, from the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism says, quote, The almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth. this down. Heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. That is, God governs everything down to the very details of life so that there is uh, not anything coming but God what God has decreed. Now, when we understand the providence of God, let's look at our our text here. It says that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. What this proverb is saying, uh, young people, is that God controls the hearts of the most powerful people in the world. And what we're supposed to learn by that is if God can control the most powerful people in the world and, and channel them like you could channel water around, uh, how much more is God sovereign over everything else? Now, when we understand the providence of God, three errors are refuted by this. Three errors that you probably know at least in principle, if not in name. Number one, we've talked about on occasions in the past, and that is the error of deism. Deism. Now, you don't have many neighbors going around saying, I'm a deist today. Uh, this was something that was more popular in the 18th century than it is today, at least properly. But nevertheless, I think a lot of people are, are uh, nevertheless, inherently deists, even if they don't claim the name. And the Deists, you'll remember, we've talked about this, boys and girls, do you remember the illustration that we often use with deism? Deism is like the, the clockmaker. They view God like a clockmaker. Now, I'm not saying that this is the truth. I'm saying this is an error, but it's one that is out there a lot. And that is they, they believe, and they wrongly believe, that God builds the universe much like a clockmaker makes a clock, and then he winds it up. And then he just lets it go, and it operates on laws and principles, and he goes somewhere else. God has other things to do, and he just lets nature run its course so that the creation runs more like a machine than a God who is imminent in the creation and governs it down to the details. So the number one error when we understand a right view of providence is the a religion of deism. Number two is fatalism. Fatalism. Now, here again, your neighbor probably doesn't go around saying I'm a fatalist, but in fact, some of them are fatalists. Um, if you know people who use and take seriously horoscopes, well, that's a form of fatalism. Uh, they believe that you know their course is set in the stars, and that their future and their destiny is is dependent upon. You know, the alignment of stars. And so they read the horoscope because they want to know. Uh, Other forms, um, extreme forms of Islam, uh, where this is where anything that denies man's personal free agency is a form of fatalism. So the common illustration for the fatalist is he doesn't look both ways before he crosses the street. He just walks out in the street. Because if I'm supposed to be hit by a car, I'll be hit by a car. Now, if you're not careful, Christians can fall into this too, where they begin to deny secondary causes. Did you hear me when we read in the confession how God ordinarily through His providence works through means, through secondary causes and free agency? So that we, we don't want to fall into the error, well, I'm a Calvinist and God is sovereign and therefore I don't need to do anything. Because if it's meant to be, it'll be. Well, that's not that's fatalism. That's not Calvinism. Okay, um, Calvinists believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, but they also we believe in the um, necessity of free human agency. That we we are not robots. That we do have a responsibility. We are fully responsible before this sovereign God. And because God is sovereign, we take our free agency seriously. Now, I'm not saying free will here. I'm, I'm talking about free agency here. That we, we have the, the moral power within us as born-again Christians to choose and make decisions. So don't, don't sit there, boys and girls, and say, well, if God wants to give me an A, He'll give me an A. And doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter whether I go out and play all week or whether I study during the week. You know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Well, I can guarantee you. Um, well, I can't guarantee you, but you're probably not going to get that A if you never study, okay? Because why? Because God operates through human agency. If God has decreed that you should get an A, he's probably also decreed that you're going to study. Now, there and again, we always meet that one guy in college who could... Pull off the A without studying, but that's probably not you, so you better study, okay? Um, and then, so deism uh, is refuted, fatalism is refuted, and then, thirdly, is the uh, idea of chance. Now, we do hear about this uh, today. There are a lot of people who believe creation, and they wouldn't use the word creation, they would speak of the universe or the environment, it is all a matter of chance. That there is no purpose to it. Um, Chance means that there is no direction or purpose to life. Everything is random. Everything is by way of accident. Um, But they do not believe in a personal guidance of the world. But when you believe in the providence of God, you, you do believe that God governs all things, even down to the very details. Listen to what John Calvin said. John Calvin said, "God's hand is at the helm," meaning he's on, he's got his hands on the steering wheel. Boys and girls, God's hand is at the helm. You know, you have those signs that say, "God is my co-pilot." <laughs> Somebody else made a bumper sticker that says, "Well, you better move the over one seat." <laughs> God is, God is the one in control. God is the one driving here. He guides all things, uh, including his care for small birds, Sermon on the Mount. Why are you anxious about many things? Look, you know, birds aren't driving John Deere tractors. They're not sowing out in the field, and yet your Father provides for them. Jesus said, therefore, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So those are three ways that we see practically providence, I think, helps us have a good worldview and helps us to witness uh, as evangelists and apologists for others who have one of these other worldviews that is out there. Now, the doctrine of providence also becomes the ground of very practical hope and comfort for us as Christians. The doctrine of providence is very practical to give us hope and comfort as believers one reason is Romans 8.28, that the scripture tells us that everything is working together for our good. And so that the Christian can take comfort that God is sovereign and can fulfill that promise. See, if God isn't absolutely sovereign, then you don't have an absolute guarantee with regard to Romans 8.28. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But when, you, when God is absolutely in control of everything, and there is, in the words of R.C. Sproul, no maverick molecule out there in the universe uh, threatening to upend everything, you know that indeed God, in the very details, uh, is working everything for your future glorification. Now, a few things I want to say. Number one, we want to talk about the providence of God in God's sovereignty, and then we're going to turn to John Flavel. Uh, And John Flavel wrote, a book, uh, the mystery of providence, and and I want to get and glean some stuff from Flavel's uh, book on on the subject of providence. First of all, let's talk a little bit about God is sovereign, governing His providence. The doctrine of providence recognizes that God is absolutely sovereign. Look at Psalm one hundred and three. We sing this psalm a lot, so let's look at it in the Scripture. Psalm 103 in your Bible. Psalm 103 and go down to verse 19. Psalm 103 and verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. Now His throne, boys and girls, would mean what? He's king. He's reigning, He's sovereign, He's in control. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. But notice line B of verse 19, and His sovereignty rules over heaven. Right? No. And His sovereignty rules over what? All. Everything. In heaven and on earth. Notice it says in verse 22, Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God's kingdom is over the entire universe. He governs everything. Everything is under the control of God. Everything is under the rule of God. Vladimir Putin is under the control of God. The events in China are under the control of God. What's going on in the West is under the control of God. God is sovereign over every aspect of human existence and life. Now, in Proverbs chapter 21, we saw that God will direct the heart of kings, that the governors of this world are governed by God. That's why you need to pray for kings and those in authority, because God uses those prayers to, if not convert, the king or the prime minister or the president, at least he can restrain them in their wickedness because God uses your prayers. See, the more you pray, well, then the benefit of that is the more you know God decreed that you would pray. See? So, you know, you know people sometimes will say, well, if God is sovereign, why bother? Why pray? Seems like a waste of time. God's going to do what he wants to do. But no, if God is sovereign and you pray, that means he's decreed that those prayers would be incorporated into his providence. And he uses the prayers of God's people to change the course of history. That's why, you know, the Wednesday night meeting is far more important than most Christians realize. We're changing history uh, when in those gatherings. Um, Now, we see this, for example, with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. God tells Moses, go and and perform these miracles in Egypt. But I'm going to use these miracles while they'll soften some people's hearts and they'll cause them to fear God and believe on God. It's going to have the opposite effect on Pharaoh. Because why? Well, because God is in control. And Pharaoh's heart is actually going to get harder under these miracles. And we read that. Did you, read, did you catch that as we were reading through the confession there? That, that the means that God employs is for the softening of some and for the benefit of some and the hardening of others. We see in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 13, that God put it on the heart of a pagan king, Cyrus, to issue a decree to send God's people back to Israel. Remember, the people of God are in captivity And you remember Jeremiah said that it'd be for 70 years that the people of Judah would be in captivity. But God also, Isaiah tells us, would raise up a man named Cyrus and that the Lord would use his decree to to cause the people to go back. Here again, there's no evidence that Cyrus was necessarily a Christian, but nevertheless, his heart was in the hands of the Lord. Again, real practical implication for prayer. We pray because God uses the prayers of his church to direct the hearts of civil magistrates. And so we should be praying much. I know many of you have prayed for decades for the overturning of Roe v. Wade and what has happened in the providence of God. God has been pleased after many years of prayer and perseverance to indeed render a righteous verdict in overturning that Ungodly decision of nineteen seventy two. God governs very small matters as well as great events. Jesus has said He cares for the birds, and this means that we should not give ourselves to worry. We should rest in the providence of God, even as we employ the the uh, secondary means that God wants us to do. So we're so it, it, it's a it's a resting in the providence of God, while also exercising the means. That is, we do the things that we're responsible to do. We give ourselves to the things that we know God has called us to do. And and in that, we trust God in his providential care. Man is far of, of greater value than the bird. And so if, if the bird gets its sustenance from God, how much more does God wanna provide for you. and Therefore, we can rest in providence. Now, this doesn't always mean it's gonna be easy. It could be difficult. I'm, I'm going through the latest volume of uh, Churchill's biography uh, Andrew Roberts has written. And uh, at one moment, Churchill turns to his cat, which kinda, as the author says, unimaginatively is named Cat. And he says, poor cat, no cream for cat in times of war. Uh, meaning that, you know, they were there were all these rations. And so cat doesn't get cream like he used to prior to the war. That, so it doesn't mean that things are always going to be uh, easy. But God still will provide uh, down to the details of life. One place that we see the sovereignty of God and the providential care of God for his people is in 1 Kings chapter 22. It's not necessarily a famous chapter, But in 1 Kings chapter 22, Micaiah, who is a prophet that we don't know much about, but Micaiah prophesies prophesies the death of King Ahab. Now, you'll remember that King Ahab was at war with Ben-Hadad from Aram. You remember that from our study of kings, right? I know you do. And uh, so there were three battles, significant battles in that war. And it was, I believe, during the third one that Micaiah prophesied the death of King Ahab. And Ahab said, oh, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, Lock this man up and feed him sparingly. And you know, uh, the prophet basically says, look, if you, you die an ordinary man's death, you know, then you know this wasn't the word of God. But what happens? During the third campaign against Aram, it describes an unknown random soldier who takes his bow and arrow and shoots it. the arrow up into the air and it happens to fall directly between the joint in the armor of King Ahab. That one little spot that was barely open, that the arrow was able to go into that spot and mortally pierce King Ahab so that Ahab is taken out of the battle and eventually dies. This was showing the very details that God can control the flight of an arrow. He knows exactly the trajectory. He knows exactly the speed. He knows exactly the movement of the king in that chariot so that at the right moment he will be in the exact spot where that arrow needs to go. This is why prophecies are fulfilled in the New Testament in such details because God is sovereign in his providence. Jesus is betrayed exactly for 30 pieces as the Old Testament prophet said he would. Psalm 22 speaks of Jesus, they pierce my hands and feet, written centuries before the Roman Empire and centuries before its peculiar form of capital punishment. That was written John Flavel says, how else but providence could explain how weaker forces overcome superior forces here. He gives the example of the Roman Empire. Did you know that the Roman Empire had ten official persecutions of the church? Ten official persecutions of the church. The Roman Empire, for you young people who may not know, that was the greatest empire to date. Up until that time, there had never been an empire like the Roman Empire. Remember that it was, the Roman Empire is described as this great and terrible beast. You had the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire and the Greeks. And, but then the, the most terrible of them all, the most terrible and, of the beasts was the Roman Empire and the ferocity of some of these persecutions. And what happens, Flavel says, yet the church lives and the Roman Empire is long gone. All because of the province of God. You look at Daniel chapter 6, says Flavel, and the lions in Daniel's den are restrained by God in his providential care. All night, Daniel is safe in the, in the den. And that the, the moment that Daniel is taken out and Daniel's enemies are thrown in, immediately the lions launch upon those that were thrown into the Lion's Den. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 2, the psalmist says that out of the mouth of babes comes the praise of the Lord. And what do we find in the entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem? The praises of the children praising the Lord Jesus. And the Pharisees telling uh, Jesus and his disciples to rebuke them. And the Pharisees are silenced themselves by the praises of God's little ones. We have the falling down of the walls of Jericho. They march and they march all week long and nothing happens. But it's at the sound of a little ram's horn and the shout of the people of God and suddenly the walls fall down. Now, John Flavel says that The providence of God is of great practical use for Christians in the following ways. He says, first of all, consider the providence of God in your own birth. Consider the providence of God in your own birth. In Psalm 139, Psalm 139 and verse 15, well, I'll just back up to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. And then he says, my frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, you were made in your mother's womb and the Lord was providentially building you there in your mother's wombs. Flavel suggests that if you ever have low thoughts of the mercy of God in your own birth, he says, ask the blind, the deaf, and the lame, the value of these mercies. We take our our health for granted, usually. We take it uh, for granted and forget what a mercy it was to be born alive and to be born healthy. Some of us would not have survived infancy had we been born in a previous century. Our births are a marvel of God's providential care. Flavel says not only should we contemplate our birth, but also our upbringing. Flavel says you could have been raised in a heathen and idolatrous land. You could have been raised Boys and girls in the Middle East, you could have been born into a Muslim family in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Afghanistan under the Taliban. And you would have been brought up in uh, ignorance and superstition under a false prophet. You could have, even if you were born in the West, you might have been born in a Roman Catholic country where here again the knowledge of the gospel is obscured by so many corruptions and superstitions within that church. But yet God has placed you in a Protestant land, in a place where you could hear the gospel and know the Bible and worship according to the scriptures. Not only should you providentially contemplate your birth and upbringing, Flavel says, thirdly, your work of conversion. Think about how God providentially ordered things to bring you to Jesus Christ. For some of you, it was because of the family you were born into and that providentially you heard the gospel at a very early age uh, and you were nurtured in a Christian community. For others of us, it, it came later in life, but yet God was working there, wasn't he? He was directing people into your path. You were becoming friends with people who knew the Lord Jesus Christ, and they gave you a Bible, or they gave you a sermon to listen to, or they gave you a Christian book, and you read and you listened to that, and you maybe got invited to church uh, by them, and you went and you heard the gospel, and God began providentially working in your life through these means. I think about all the little uh, situations that leading up to my own conversion. Um, that I still to this day remember. I can remember as a seven-year-old having a conversation with a neighborhood friend down the street about who Jesus was. I can remember being a bag boy at Kroger, and my manager was a Messianic Jew, and he gave me a book, How Jesus Was the Messiah. I can remember working in Washington, D.C., where one of my colleagues there was a Christian, and gave me a Gideon's New Testament. And I can remember being in college Republicans and one of the officers in the group was converted to Christ. And I said, I heard you became a Christian. Why did you do that? And he gave me R.C. Sproul sermons. I mean, there are just countless examples of this where God has worked in your lives as well in all the details, uh, working it together so that you would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly, Flavel says you should consider the providence of God with regard to your calling. God has given us all various vocations and He has given you gifts that are suitable for those vocations. Uh, God has particularly gifted you uh, for work and for profitability in this life and for the world that is to come. You could, those of you who are married... Consider the providence of God. Proverbs 19.14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. John Flavel, speaking about God's providence, says, in this, the Lord often goes beyond our thoughts and plans, yea, and often crosses men's desires and designs to their great advantage. You wanted X, and God gave you Y, and it turned out Y was much better than X. Not what you expect, but What is his, says Flavel, what is his infinite wisdom? Judges best and most beneficial for them is what takes place. Hence it is that probabilities are so often dashed. That is, things that you think it would go this way, they come to nothing. Things that are remote and improbable, they are brought about. I think about that with regard to this church. At the time that this church was getting going, there was another church somewhere else, I won't say where, that also was getting started, within about a year of each other. And if you looked at those two situations, we looked improbable. (laughs) We were in this little storefront, we had 22 people, and we had no financial support at the time uh, from the denomination or the presbytery, anything else. Uh, The other work, you had the quote-unquote poster boy of of missions (laughs) work, at the other church, they had over 100 people in their opening service. They had like 120 people in their opening service in that mission work. That, that church doesn't exist today. It closed its doors decades ago. And yet, here we still are. Uh, that, we don't always know. The, the, the probable uh, sometimes is, comes to nothing. And that which seems unlikely, you know, becomes something significant who hasn't seen that in the in the nfl draft right you know <laughs> uh you know tom brady <laughs> almost doesn't get picked and yet who's the most significant quarterback of of his day but but tom brady and other guys who get drafted you know first pick second pick early in the first round oh, their career comes to nothing nobody wants to trade their cards these days um, you know, Michael Jordan. Think about Michael Jordan. Two teams said no to Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan did go in the first round, but two, think about that. The most significant basketball player ever. Two teams said, nah, <laughs> we think we can get a better player somewhere else. The third team picked Michael Jordan. You, don't, you just don't realize sometimes, you know? But Providence... Um, will have its way. Flavel, again, hence it is that probabilities are so often dashed, things remote, utterly improbable, are brought about in very strange and unaccountable methods of providence. Do not show the least discontentment at the lot and portion of providence, which carves out for you. Oh, that you would be well pleased, says Flavel, and satisfied with all its appointments. Say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, verse 6, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. Surely that is best for you, which providence has appointed. And one day you yourself will judge it so to be. I was telling the people at uh, Florence Hand when I was preaching there last Thursday, and we were talking about this subject of God's care for us and sovereignty over us, and I uh, gave them the illustration of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know she had an accident, a swimming accident, as a teenager as she dove off a dock, and I think the water wasn't as deep as she thought. Anyway, she injured her neck badly enough to become a paraplegic, and, and somebody had asked her a question about this. And, later in her adult life. And she said, you know, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it anything, any way differently. And I thought, wow, what a tremendous thing to say. Uh, that's so hard. I don't know, would I have the grace to be able to, to say the, the same thing? But she was able to look back um, in this life, she's still with us, and, and see all the good that the Lord has done through that one terrible accident. And how much more in glory... When all things uh, secret will be revealed. Uh, How many more good things come from things that at the time crossed us? Flavel goes on also. that providence is mysterious in its preservation of the saints from evil. David, for example, was rescued from sinning by the intervention of Abigail. Sometimes the counsel of others has kept you from sin. Sometimes God has hindered the wicked from harming you by his providential care. Sometimes God has given you an affliction to keep you from a worse evil. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to keep from exalting himself. God keeps his people from sin by teaching of the word of God. Sometimes God removes temptations from his people by his providential intervention, sometimes even by death. Uh, God sometimes, knowing that a violent persecution or trial is coming, may remove some uh, by death and come into glory before it breaks out. Well, let me close with a few thoughts here on what Flavel calls how to meditate on the providence of God, how to meditate on the providence of God. Number one, Flavel encourages us encourages us to think about the many providences of God in your life. Think about your life and all the things that you've been through in life. The good, the bad, and everything indifferent. That God has been in control of all this. The reason Flavel suggests that we do this is he says that prayer honors providence and providence honors prayer. Prayer honors providence And providence honors prayer. What he means is that we see things that God has done and we come back to the Lord in thanksgiving of those things. And we pray for things to God and God works those things out in His providence so that the role of prayer and the study of His providence go hand in hand. Number two, observe the providence of God and the Word of God. Fulfilled to you by them. Study the providence of God and the Word of God. Now, we don't always. I I used to have a professor in seminary, he used to say, Now you think the Bible is hard to interpret, providence is even harder to interpret. So you always have to be careful how you interpret providence. But we can, I think, benefit to ourselves and our souls by observing providence and by looking at it in conjunction with our study of the Bible. that As God gives us light from the Scriptures, and we look at what is happening in our lives, uh, we can derive some spiritual benefit from meditating on God's providence, even if we don't fully understand all that God is doing in that providential moment. And then number three, finally, that we eye God as the author of our particular providences. Recognize that behind all the secondary and tertiary causes in this world, God is the author of it all. It will help fortify you, particularly when you bear crosses